Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. God, I ask that you would come and fill each one of our hearts and our lives. That, Lord, as we move into the next section of this service, that, God, we would render our hearts and our ears and our minds to you. That, Lord, you would change us from the inside out, God, and that we would know your presence. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And so last week we had a bit of a hiatus from our uh, series and uh, on spiritual warfare. So we're going we're gonna to pick up again today, and then today is going to cl close us out on our whole series on spiritual warfare um, and how the spiritual world inf influences our physical world and our spiritual armor and all of that. So we're gonna close that out today and I'm gonna talk about a topic that you're not gonna like, so just heads up. Yes. We are, yes, one guy is excited to have a topic that he doesn't wanna hear anything about. Aren't you glad you showed up to church? Like, I could have done something else with this hour and a half, right? Ben says no, all right. Okay, so <clears throat> be more like Ben, I guess, right? No, sir. No, okay. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes to Timothy. Paul is kind of Timothy's mentor. When Timothy first meets Paul, Timothy is a teenager. Timothy is probably 15 years old when he meets Paul, and Paul begins to mentor him in the faith and in Scripture and so on. And so as he's mentoring him, he raises Timothy up. And now at this point, when we get to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, these are two letters that he wrote to Timothy, instructing him, because at this point, Timothy is now a pastor. Okay, so Timothy is probably in his early 20s, and Paul writes to him and gives him some instruction in the second letter. In 1 Timothy chapter, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy, Paul is instructing him, um, things are going well in the church, the church is booming and exploding, and things are going well all over the city. When you get to 2 Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, the church is in decline, the church is falling apart, there's all kinds of problems in the church. And so that's kind of the environment that's going on here in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 4. So let's pull that up and take a look at that. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He says, Timothy, listen, there's all of this crud going on in the church. Your, your church there is coming apart, and people are gossiping, and people are backbiting, people are sleeping around on each other. All kinds of things are going on in the church. He goes, Timothy, a soldier does not involve themselves in civilian affairs. Stick to the mission. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that. We get ensnared by what's going on in the media. We get ensnared on what's going on in social media. And some, we scroll through social media and something makes us mad. So then we have to say something and then we get involved in multiple strings of comments. I know those were just my toes, right? And so we have to like say something. And we get involved in all of these things that I'm not so sure are beneficial and healthy. Or is it just me? Okay, look at your neighbor and go focus. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say focus. Because this is what Paul's telling Timothy. Hey, Timothy, focus. Focus. It isn't about your 75 years here on planet Earth. It's about eternity when you die. Right? I mean, if I were to take... If I were to... It, here, look, 
I'm gonna do this. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm gonna rip my, okay. So, how, I don't know how much space this actually occupies, this little corner. Is this two inches? Okay. This occupies two inches, okay? The rest of the globe is eternity. This is your life. The rest of planet Earth is eternity. If I were to take these little two inches and compare it to planet Earth, what are we living for? Are we living for the two inches? Or are we living for planet Earth, right? This is our life. This is your 75, 80 years in comparison to, right? And so Paul says, Timothy, stay on mission, stay focused, stay focused. This is temporary. This is temporary. It's going to pass, Timothy. Relax. And so he says, Timothy, first off, you have to understand something. You're a soldier. A soldier does not get involved in the civilian affairs. A soldier is somebody who's fighting. It's someone who is, re who is refrained, as he says there in a verse, and he does not get entangled. The word entangled in the Greek actually means to be folded into. To be folded into. And I was talking with someone before service, and they were talking about, you know, they were watching some of the knife-making stuff that I've been doing. And one of the things that you do with steel is that you fold it over, right? And then you heat it back up, and you pound it out again. And so you do that enough until the steel at a molecular level begins to fold into each other. And those two pieces become one. And Paul says, Timothy, that's not what we're doing here. We're not folding into or becoming a part of this world system. This is not what a Christian does. This is not how a Christian operates. And so, what happens when you get ensnared into the things of the world, when you get folded into the things of the world? Well, I'm going to share a story with you that I, it kind of made me chuckle. And I'm, I don't mean anything political by this whatsoever. It's simply an example. And so you're like, oh. So the whole Russian-Ukraine war thing, right? There was uh, the uh, Russians from the 3rd Motor Rifle Division. There's about 500 of them. There was over five, about six, 700 of them. They got entangled in Ukrainian civilian affairs. And this, these little old grandmas baked cookies and biscuits for all these Russian soldiers. And they laced it with rat poison. And so out of the seven or 800 Russian soldiers who were accepting all this food from these civilians, 500 of them ended up deathly sick. About 25 of them actually died. And these little grandmas with their cookies and their biscuits stopped the advancement of like these 600 Russian soldiers. Why? Because the soldiers didn't eat what was assigned to them. They said, oh, thank you. I'm gonna get involved in civilian affairs and eat grandma's cookies and biscuits. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, don't involve yourself with the world because the world is just waiting to feed you some rat-laced rat poison biscuits and cookies. Right? And we call it the news, and we call it social media, and we call it friends who just don't have healthy habits, and we call it all sorts of other things. And Paul says, Timothy, we can't be doing that. We can't do that. Here's the thing, though, that we have to understand. The enemy will always appear innocent. Satan will always attack you in a form that is innocent. Look, if he came knocking on your door, said, hi, I'm Satan, follow me, nobody's going to do that, right? 
I mean, it's the whole reason our military develops stealth weapons. They don't want, they don't, we don't want anybody to see us coming. It's why we attack at night. Nobody wants to see us coming, right? We don't want anybody to see us coming. The enemy does the same thing in our life. And you know how you're falling for the trap? When words come out of your mouth or enter your mind going, well, just, it's only. Those type of phrases should be setting off flags in your mind. It's only, it's just, etc., etc. Those things are red flags. You got friends in your class and you're sitting there in class and you're like, okay, it's just this one. I'll just look at this picture this one time on my buddy's phone. It won't be one time. It'll be five times and 10 times and it'll be a death spiral into an addiction. It's how the enemy works. And Paul says, Timothy, stop it. Don't get involved. It's just when you hear it's only or just once or whatever the logic of reasoning happens to be in your head, cut it off. You have to cut it off because the enemy would love to give you nothing more than a biscuit or a cookie laced with, <laughs> laced with spiritual poison. Um, you can just write this down. We're not going to put this on the screen for the sake of time, but Job chapter 20. In Job chapter 20, verses 12 through 14, Job literally says the enemy's tactics are sweet. They look sweet. They look inviting. They look, they look like, oh, man, yeah, that would be great, and I can do that. That's how the enemy works. If you're a teenager, listen up. That's how it works. It works with the one little, oh, okay. I'll just watch it this once. I'll just do it this once. That's how it works. That's how the enemy works. And the next thing you know, you're an adult with the same ha habits you had when you're a teenager and you can't break out of it. That's how it works. And so if I can ensnare you while you're in junior high or high school, you'll carry that habit or that addiction or that problem or that thought or that way of thinking, you'll carry it into adulthood. And it will twist and warp your adulthood. The enemy knows this. The enemy's playing the long game. He ain't playing the short game. He's playing the long game. So if I can ensnare you when you're young to convince you of something, you'll carry it into adulthood. And then you're going to need therapy, counseling, church, group therapy, you name it. I'm not kidding. This is how this works. And so Paul tells Timothy, stop. Now, how do we... How do we do this? So just look up Job chapter 20, verses 12 through 14. For those of you that are taking notes, you can look that up this week, study it. Job ought to know um, because he had uh, some real issues in his life. First Corinthians, though. First Corinthians, let's talk about the part that you're like, man, why did I come to church today part? You excited? You ready to go? All right, on the count of three, everybody give me a woohoo. One, two, three. Woohoo! All right. We're going to talk about discipline. Yeah, all right, thank you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and if you know anything about the church at Corinth, the church of Corinth is just straight jacked, right? It's just messed up. And so in 1 Corinthians, I won't, just Google church, the church at Corinth, and your eyes will fall out of your head, okay? So, but in verse 26, in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, Paul writes to the pastor there at the church and the letters for the church. He says, therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike blows to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul says in verse 26, he goes, listen, what I do, 
To act in discipline and to be disciplined is not without a purpose. I'm aiming, I have a purpose for being disciplined in my life. And what is he talking? He's talking about physical discipline here, okay? He's talking about physical discipline. I had a conversation with one of my sons sitting in the car this week as we pulled in the garage and we were talking about some things and I said, listen, I said, there's a, there's a Native American proverb that basically says you have two wolves living inside of you and the wolf that you feed will be the wolf that dominates. In other words, there's not just one of you. There are multiple voices going on in your head at any one time. In fact, in the Old Testament, the whole, in all of the Old Testament in Hebrew, the word face is never singular. It's always in the plural form. So when it says that Moses came down off the mountain and it says his face shone, it says his faces shone. When it talks about someone's face, it's never singular. It's faces. Why? Because in, in he, Hebraic or Jewish culture, it's understood that every person has multiple faces. So when you say, well, somebody's two-faced, yes! We're all two-faced. Heck, we're all probably dozen-faced. I mean, you know, right? There's an angry side of you, a happy side of you, an intellectual smart side of you, and an emotional side of you. It's okay. The trick is, is which wolf you feed is the wolf that's going to dominate. And if you feed the spiritual side of you, it will begin to dominate. And this is what Paul's talking about. He goes, I tell my body, you're getting out of bed and not hitting the snooze. Paul says, you're going to put the bread down and pick up the broccoli. Oh, right? You're going to put the ice cream down and grab some yogurt. That's not as bad, right? No, it is bad? Okay. Paul says, listen, he goes, I discipline myself so that I can reach others for Jesus. Why? Because the better you take care of your body, the longer you can live, it gives you more opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. At the end of the day, it does. And so if you're just like, well, I'm going to eat this and do that and do whatever and cut, you know, like, look, like bacon cuts two minutes off of your life, right? So like I owe God 20 years. I'm in the deficit with bacon. But that's the thing. Like, we think as Christians, like, I can, just because I can't eat it or just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Right? Paul says, listen, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. You can go do whatever you want, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial for your life. Right? Like, I'm super, like, my son sitting right here who's asleep. Oh, there he is. <laughs> like, he... I'm really proud of him because you know why? This kid doesn't drink pop. Like he refuses. Like if there are, if there are sugar-free options, like when he eats pancakes, it's sugar-free syrup. Like no sugar, no pop, right? Like he's conditioning, training his body for a reason and for a purpose. And I just wish that some of us could grasp what Paul's saying here. That part of, part of spiritual warfare is being disciplined in your mind. Remember when we started off this series and we were talking about demons and the influence of the demonic and the influence of angels and how all of that works? And I said, most of us will never encounter somebody who's possessed like you see in movies, right? Most of us are not going to encounter that. What we're going to struggle with is this right up here. This. This is where the enemy plays. Putting thoughts in your head, questions in your head. And if you're disciplined enough to control your body from your head and you feed that wolf and tell, man, kids are awesome, right? 
and you control, you use your mind. Paul says, listen, I beat my body. Now, he's not talking like physically I punch myself in the face. But he goes, my body wants and craves this, but I tell it no. I refuse it. Right? It means to be so disciplined that your body doesn't have a choice. Body, shut up. Right? I just, I got to binge the next episode, but you know you haven't read your Bible for the day. I want, I want the next whatever, but I haven't spent time in prayer today. Hey, body, shut up. You don't get a choice in this. My relationship with God is more important than whatever happens in the next episode. It's, tell, it's taking control of your feelings, taking control of your desires, and telling them to knock it off. And I'm going to share with you towards the end of the sermon how you can actually grow in discipline, right? But he says that I, I, I beat my body. He goes, that I make my body a slave. The word slave literally means to shackle into submission. You just start putting shackles and chains around the things your body wants to do and your cravings and your desires. And you put chains around those and you pull that thing down and uh-uh. No, mm -mm. the word of God says this, I'm going to do this. It's not going to feel good. It's painful. It's funny, my wife and I had a conversation this morning. Um, I, I just did a bad thing last night. I did a really bad, okay, it's not that bad, but in comparison. But we went to the movie. We went to go see Family Camp, which is hilarious. It's a great movie. Go see it. It's funny. It's campy and cheesy and it's comedy and you know it's going to be funny and it's going to be cheesy so well, we went and lynn says i want a i want a bowl of popcorn and coke guess who ate like over half the popcorn and drink over half the coke and I, I don't usually put that stuff in my body and this morning i woke up <laughs> she's i'm like i feel swollen and sluggish and blah 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 and then she says well, do you want, she gave me water, and then she's like, well, what do you want? I said, well, give me some yogurt or some oatmeal and start trying to clean, flush this stuff out, right? Give me the fiber and the dietary stuff to get this stuff flushed out of my system. And so, where was I going with all that? I forgot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she says, she goes, well, do you want, you want like a bagel or you want, I said, no, uh, I, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, she goes, oh yeah, it's got carbs in it, you're trying to cut carbs. And I said, well, I'm not like totally trying to cut carbs. I'm trying to like greatly reduce the carbs because the wraps we have in the fridge are like low carb, which means they still have carbs. So I'm not like totally cutting carb carbs out. I'm not like a freak or anything. Somebody just took that personal. All right, look, talking about me, not you. The point is, is that my body, though, when she said bagel, part of my body was like, oh, carbs, right? And so there is a part of me that says, yes, yes, yes. And the other part of me says, no, 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 no. And I have to understand that if I'm going to live longer so I have more opportunities to share Jesus with people, then I need to get disciplined. And when you start getting disciplined in one area, it starts to carry over in other areas. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But let me ask you this question. Do I find ways to stick it to my body? Do I look for ways to tell my body to shut up? Oh, I gotta watch the next episode. No, you don't, shut up. Oh, I just need 10 more minutes of sleep. No, you don't, get up. There's a reason I'm bringing all of this up, okay, and we're gonna get to this. If your toes are broken, God's a healer, he'll heal them. I'm sorry, I stepped on him. Okay, we all good, everybody's toes, we're good? Listen, there is part of us that always wants to take the easy way out. 
That is the nature of man. We want to take the easy way out. That is our nature. But here's the thing. Discipline holds us together when our feelings are running wild. Self-denial in an area will prevent destruction that will do us in. Self-denial is actually a... Self-denial is actually a measure of maturity. I could, I, I could buy it right now with the credit card, and then I could pay like 12% interest on it, but I'd get it right now. Or I could save the money. Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is a sign of maturity. Delay my gratification, and then get it. And then I have any debt, and not have to worry about interest rates. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to just move on from that. Um, so how do you grow discipline? How do you grow discipline? Funny enough, as we get ready to wrap this up, um, let me just talk about a little bit about how to grow discipline in this aspect of spiritual warfare. Um, how many of you have seen the video um, by, by the Admiral and Navy SEAL uh, William McRaven, where he talks about the importance of making a bed, making your bed, and then it comes out with a little book. Yeah, yeah, most of you have. I would encourage you just YouTube that, watch it, because he talks about the importance of doing the little things. It's the little things that cause your discipline to grow, getting up, making your bed every morning. I was listening to a neuroscientist on a podcast, and he says one of the things that he does to grow his discipline is he'll grab a book, sit down to read a book, and then he will put his phone right next to him and he will turn on all of the alerts on his phone. Because what's, what's the inclination naturally? When your phone goes off, you pick it up to look at it. He goes, so when it goes off and I'm reading my book, I deny myself. I tell myself, no, don't pick it up, don't pick it up, don't pick it up. And it was funny, during the podcast, he goes, in fact, he goes, I'm, he goes those of you that can't see, there's a paper clip on my desk right now and I've been I've been trying to, my, I, will, I just instinctively want to go pick it up and fiddle with it. And he goes, and I'm telling myself, no, no, no. He says, as you, as you begin to tell yourself no in the little things, your brain actually develops a neuropathway for discipline. And the more you tell yourself no, and the more you deny yourself, that neuropathway grows until eventually you're taking on discipline in bigger and bigger areas. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal the way the brain is wired. But if we just instinctively go, yeah, I want some ice cream, I'm gonna go get some ice cream. Yeah, I want this, I'm gonna go do this. Yeah, I want this, I feel like this, so I'm gonna go do what I feel like. Then, you're, then your discipline will never grow. There are literally neural pathways in your brain that grow when you just deny yourself the paperclip on the desk for a half hour. Your discipline literally grows neurologically in your brain. It's mind boggling how God has made the human body. But if we're constantly going, well, I want this when I feel like it, I demand it right now, and I've had to wait two minutes in line at Taco Bell to get the new taco pizza that just came out that's not really new, they just brought back the old one, right? And you have to wait, and you're like, oh, I got to get it right now? Then guess what? You need to grow some neural pathways. You need to, like, discipline yourself. Here's what I can tell you. The people who are, people who are disciplined achieve more. They have higher, here's, and here's what increased discipline does. It increases your self-esteem. It increases your confidence. 
people start looking to you for advice. And generally, studies have shown that people who have greater discipline have a better disposition and outlook on life than those who just react to their feelings and their emotions. Wow. Wow. So when Paul writes to Timothy, it says, hey, you're a soldier, suck it up, be disciplined, don't get involved in civilian affairs. When he writes to the church at Corinth that was just off the chain doing goofy stuff, and Paul says, guys, I do what I do so that I can share, people, share Jesus with people. I'm disciplined because I want to be able to share Jesus with people. And I know that if I gun down ice cream every single night, I'm going to cut years off my life. And that's a year that I could have spent an opportunity sharing Jesus with somebody. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. He goes, I can't, I can't be doing this. I've got to be disciplined. There's a purpose. Okay, look at your neighbor and go, whoo. Go, just go, Okay, let's get it out. You all sound like a bunch of owls. I'm done with the discipline part. You guys good? All right, so here's what I'm going to ask. Put this up on the screen as we close. What small thing can you do this week to become more disciplined? What small thing can you do to become more disciplined? Discipline is not something I just suddenly magically have. You grow it. It's like a seed. You have to nurture it. You have to grow it. And as you grow it, it gets better and stronger. And then you take that and you take that to another area of your life and you grow it. This is spiritual warfare because spiritual warfare happens in the mind. This is why I'm talking about discipline on the last day of this series. Discipline happens in the mind. Spiritual warfare happens in the mind. It's all up here. And whichever wolf you feed, your spirit or your natural flesh, whichever one you feed is going to grow and devour the other one. And we're all trying. Don't, don't look up here at me and go, oh, look at you, you're just all so disciplined. No, I ate over half a bowl of popcorn last night full of salt and butter. I mean, right? I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm working on it. And many of you know, right? I'm up at 4 a.m. and I'm at the gym at 4.30 and I'm working out from 4.30 to 5.30. And, it's, and then I'm coming home and then I've got a spiritual routine and certain stuff that I eat in the morning long before anybody ever gets up to get ready to go to school or go to work or whatever. I want to tell you something. That took me four weeks. That took me a full month for my body to adjust to 4 a.m. And now on the weekends, I sleep until 5.30. <laughs> but I'm a dork, and that's okay. That was an area in my life that God was dealing with me on. Right? That's where God was dealing with me. God may deal with you in something else. So the question is, what small thing can you do this week to begin to grow your discipline in an area? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand up. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to close out with a song this morning. We are super excited for Sydney, who's going to get baptized today. So I want, yeah, so I want to invite you. I want to invite you and your family to go out those doors and over right up against the brick wall at the old fire station there is our baptismal. Just, and then we will dismiss from the baptismal. Uh, oh, yes, please make sure you get your kids from upstairs. Let's not leave them. Um, so we all good? All right. 
All right, let me pray, and then you guys can get your kids and everybody head out to the baptismal. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that Paul gave us words to live by and being disciplined, God, and it's not something that we want to talk about. It's not something that we enjoy, and we smile and smirk about it nervously. But Lord, we ask that you would help us. Show us. Show us ways. Show us areas where we can grow in our discipline and grow and, and be more like Christ so that we can introduce others to Jesus so that we can show others that there's a new way to be human, that we can be an injection of heaven on earth in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 We'll see you outside. We are super excited. Um, in Acts chapter 9, uh, Philip was walking along the road, and there was an Ethiopian there reading scripture. And Philip asked him, he said, do you know what that says? And the Ethiopian said, the Ethiopian said, I don't understand what it says unless somebody explains it. And so the Bible says in Acts 9 that Philip explained to the Ethiopian what the Bible meant and what he was reading. And it says, as they were going along in the chariot, the Ethiopian said to Philip, well, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized right now? And Philip was like, yes, let's do this. And so anytime somebody wants to get baptized, we should have the same excitement and the same joy that Philip does in Acts chapter 9. That, yeah, whatever it takes. Uh, my brother back here, Aaron, was baptized in an icy river, right? So ice, no ice. We express our love. Baptism represents dying to ourselves and coming back to life and living for Jesus in the way that Jesus would have us live and not living for ourselves and our desires and our wants and our needs. You see, Jesus's love is about change more than it is about acceptance. Think about that. The love of Jesus, the actual act of baptism is about change. And so Sydney has expressed her love for Jesus. She is excited to be here today and she's looking forward to doing the very same thing that Christians for the last 2,000 years and even Jesus himself did. And that was to go under as one person and come up a new person deciding that I'm going to live for Jesus in a public expression of her faith. You guys ready to do this? Yeah. Sydney, you ready? All right. Jesus as your Savior? Yes. All right. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. of faith in Jesus today? Once? Or twice? <laughs> Alright, you guys have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. Woo